All right, thanks everybody for being here. This is gonna be bullying prevention part four, bullying myths, truths, and what to do about it. Now we've talked a lot about uh, what's going on and what the situation is with bullying prevention. I want to welcome Master Senior Master Laura Sanborn and I'm Dr. Greg Moody, Chief Master Instructor. And we're gonna be talking again about bullying prevention and this is part three. We're so happy you're here and uh, watching the podcast and and part of taking bullying prevention seriously. Unfortunately, today, well, not unfortunately today, but uh, we're going to be talking about the education system. And while we don't blame teachers, we don't blame administrators, we don't blame school districts for what's going on with bullying prevention, it's impossible to reduce bullying down to zero. And nobody should expect that in any kind of school environment. Um, but the reality of it of the world is is that we're never going that that there isn't enough done to prevent bullying in schools and we've seen that in the data that we presented previously uh, about one in three kids is affected by bullying and we saw a lot of detailed statistics in our past podcasts um, they're really not taking the idea of bullying prevention seriously why is that well let's talk a little bit about what the the laws and rules and things that are happening Almost every state has laws about bullying prevention. In Arizona, we have Arizona revised statutes that directly address bullying. And, and again, in almost every state in the United States, and in most countries, there's laws about bullying prevention that schools are supposed to have uh, things set up that speak to bullying prevention. When I go into a school and talk to them about bullying prevention, and I talk to principals, almost all the time, they say, oh, really? we do have laws about bullying. And I show them the revised statutes and they're pretty surprised. Now, the part of the reason for the surprise is that there's no enforcement typically for schools. And why is that? Well, the main driving force for educators in the United States is, of course, the main uh, parameters that they have to abide by, which are whether or not the students are reading, writing, and doing all of their academic work at a good enough level. And that's understandable. I completely understand that. And they have so many priorities and so many pressures in the school system that bullying prevention gets pushed down unless it's a high priority. When does it get to be a high priority? Well, unfortunately, it gets to be a high priority when there's a suicide or when there's uh, some other case that is tragic and terrible that happens in the schools. And then the, the focus becomes suicide or mental health or another issue. That's what we're trying to prevent at the grassroots level, at the beginning level. And what we know is it, from our other podcasts and from some of the other things that we've talked about in the book, depression, anxiety, uh, somatic, physical issues, mental health, there's a lot of these issues that happen before these tragic events occur. So many, many schools do have bullying prevention programs. We'll talk a little bit about in this section, which ones are gonna work and which ones don't work. And because there's tremendous action to take uh, or tremendous pressure to take action, uh, very frequently schools choose to take uh, action with programs that may or may not have any evidence-based uh, background 
and they may not have any uh, have any real reason to think that they're going to have some success in the future. So we'll talk about that in in the next few minutes here. Master Sanborn, anything to add about this? No, I just know that when I go into a school system, or even when I'm looking them up online, one of the first things they all talk about is, oh, we have this great bullying prevention, we talk about it. And then I'll get a parent from that school come in with, oh, my kid got bullied, I went to the teacher and nothing happened. So it's, it's so inconsistent with what they say, that it's easy to see this kind of lack of follow through. Yeah, and every teacher that we've ever met cares about their students. I want to emphasize that. There is no teacher we have ever met that is is not uh, does not feel like bullying is important and that they need to do something about it and that it's it's a key factor in their their children's uh, their students' health and well-being and uh, academic success. The problem is all the other things that we've talked about in the book is they generally are not given enough information and education about how to identify bullying and then what to do about it. And that's what this book's about or this uh, podcast is about. So so what are some solutions that will work and won't work? So what doesn't work are simple short-term solutions. Let's talk about that in some detail. Um, I have heard about, let me give you some examples of that. I've heard about all kinds of very simple short-term solutions. I did some work in the state of Arkansas uh, with with their school districts and their city. One of the short-term solutions they tried, and they used their entire annual budget on this, was they got Stephen Stills from, uh, from, uh, what's the group? Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they got Stephen Stills to come in and do a concert for the entire school district, the Little Rock School District. And the concert was about being nice to each other and uh, being, uh, and he, he did this concert, all there were very positive songs and they talked in between the songs and told everybody how they should be good to each other. That was it. They did a concert. And then everybody went off on their merry way and expected things to be different. Well, guess what? No measurable difference. and they didn't really even measure the difference, but we can predict based on what we know that feel good programs, short-term concert, they used again, their whole budget on uh, for anything related to bullying on this, no difference in effect. There was no change in what, what results they got out of this concert happening. So simple short-term solutions. Another, there's many bullying prevention programs that schools try to have where they'll come in, a, a program will come in, they'll do a speech. I'll give you an example of one later that's that's really kind of crazy. They'll come in, the kids will have maybe a meeting with somebody doing a lecture in front of the class or a big pep rally. They'll talk about some positive things and then they'll leave. Well, everybody either A, feels really good or they get very emotional. There's a lot of crying and tears and uh, people get very serious about it for a little bit, but then there's no real long-term effect. Those kind of solutions or those kind of programs just simply don't work. So we need to have something on the contrary that's a long-term, um, a long-term systematized program that's in the schools that has real effects. And we'll go into the detail of what those need to be. Um, Programs of the day approaches, program du jour approaches, where it might be something really popular or uh, 
maybe related to a celebrity and they have a great idea. I'll give you one example, uh, one program that uh, we really love, the Olveus Bullying Prevention Program uh, created by Dan Olveus uh, from Norway. He uh, brought this to the United States as a very, very high level respected program. That is a great program. Well, one of their main researchers was waiting to be on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And she was uh, going to, you know, give a nice uh, talk to Ellen DeGeneres about, about bullying prevention. Well, the guest before her was Madonna. And Ellen DeGeneres nicely asked Madonna, what do you think about bullying? And Madonna said, well, you know, let me tell you what I think about bullying. And you know, she was well, well, had well and good intentions, but she went ahead and talked for the next 20 or 30 minutes. And they didn't have the expert from the Olveus Bullying Prevention Program who knew all about bullying come on. So instead of, instead of having, uh, having a, uh, an expert that would really give people information and dispel some of the myths that we've been talking about in these last podcasts, they had Madonna. Again, well-intentioned. I think Madonna probably cares about the problem. She, she has a history of being bullied when she was in school and, you know, has something to say. And she's a smart person, very successful. But it wasn't the information that people probably needed. So short-term approaches, simple short-term approaches, simple and short-term won't work. Um, another thing that doesn't work is group treatment. for kids who bully. Now, this is something that's pretty common and they th this is a misconception about the idea of bullying. So the idea of bullying is, is that kids who bully have anger management issues or they may have low self-esteem. So let's put them together in a program where we're going to help them with their anger management or help them with their self-esteem and help build up their self-esteem. Well, we've learned in prior podcasts and prior videos that kids who bully don't have low self-esteem and they don't necessarily have anger management issues. There's no evidence to think that they do. So group treatment and supporting them in these ways actually creates a more effective bully. This is totally counterindicated and all you're doing is setting setting up a more effective bully. And I like to say, what you really might be creating is good is gangs. Now you've got a whole bunch of these kids who are bullying together and you're going to turn them into a more effective bully and you're going to team them up with each other. Not really a good idea. So the other one is, uh, and again, this is like self-esteem enhancement or anger management. These really don't speak to the problems that these kids have. Sometimes these are done one-on-one, -on -one, and this also doesn't work. The other issue, or the other treatment that won't work, is zero tolerance. Now, if somebody brings, uh, if a child brings a weapon to school, or a child is uh, very violent, of course, a zero tolerance policy, that makes some sense. Uh, there are certain things that zero tolerance policies can, can make perfect sense for. But bullying, when it happens to one in three kids and 19% of kids are bullying, 
if you have a zero tolerance policy, what effect would that have? Well, there's going to be one or two effects. Either all 20% of kids that are bullying are going to get sent home and you're having expelling 20% of the, of the child population. That probably would be a little too much, right? So that wouldn't be effective. So what would happen then if you had a zero tolerance policy? Well, what ends up happening is the threshold of teachers who will actually execute the zero tolerance policy is going to raise up and up and up so that the only bullying that really does get reported when you have a zero tolerance policy would be very high. So the only bullying that would get reported would be very severe bullying. The example I like to use is this. If the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, and we had a zero tolerance policy for speeding. And every time somebody was at 66 miles per hour, the police officer arrested them and put them in jail. How many people, how many police officers would actually arrest somebody at 66 miles an hour? Probably not too many police officers would pull like a lot of people over. Now, would that control the speed limit pretty well? Probably, probably not many people would, would speed. But the police officers would have a big, really tough decision to make. Would I arrest people right at 66 miles an hour? It's zero, they have zero tolerance, right? So at 66 miles an hour, they've got to arrest people. What would end up happening is the threshold for arresting people would, you know, go, go up and up and up and up. Pretty soon, it would be 75 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour. Then at 80, the police officer has to decide, I, I guess I got to arrest you. And now arrest you at 85 miles an hour. And if the penalty is you go to jail for two weeks and it's a felony, well, you know, maybe as soon as the penalty starts going up and up and up, I'm not going to arrest you if it's a felony and you're going to go to jail for two years. When would I arrest somebody for that? It might be 100 miles an hour. You know, I'm not going to arrest somebody at 61, 66 miles an hour and, may, and they go to jail for two weeks because maybe they weren't paying attention to their speed. So what we need to do is have a policy that you can implement negative consequences at small, small uh, instances of bullying. Just like if you speed a little bit in most states, if you're zero to 10 miles over, you get a warning, you get, or you get a small penalty. It doesn't take a lot of points off your license. So zero tolerance policies for things that are common can't work. You have to have zero, to zero tolerance policies don't make sense for these things. Now, why do people have, or why do schools have zero tolerance policies? Because it sounds really good. It sounds wonderful. We have zero tolerance policies for bullying or that makes you sound really tough and like you're taking a really strong stance on bullying. It actually doesn't make any sense if you think about it. All right. The other one is mediation. This is one of my favorite topics is conflict resolution, but mediation or conflict resolution for bullying issues. Mediation and conflict resolution doesn't work for bullying. Conflict is different from bullying. Remember, bullying is an imbalance of power, intention to hurt, and it's repeated over time. Well, if you and I are having an argument, if we just 
don't like each other, or we are arguing over if we're kids, maybe we're arguing over who's using the, the swing set on the playground. We're just arguing over it. Well, that's not bullying. That would require mediation. Who's going to get the swing set first? Who's going to get it second? Who's going to get the resource at the school first? Um, who was right or wrong about something? That's conflict. That needs mediation. Bullying means I have a different power structure than you. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I had, I was in some ways, this is like abuse. So in that regard, there's a difference. There's a different position of power. So if a teacher tries to help or a parent in one of, if we have parents listening, a parent tries to help and there's two kids and we try to get them to resolve conflict just by talking it out. Well, that's never going to work in a bullying case because one kid already has a lot more power. He can just tell the other kid what to do and they pretty much have to comply. They might be bigger, stronger. They have a difference in power. I'll give you an example of that in, in an adult situation. Let's say you have um, a, uh, a boss and an employee. Well, if they have conflict, who's going to win that conflict? Most of the time, it's going to be the boss because they can just tell the employee, this is what the, in the end, this is what is going to happen, right? That's not really a conflict or mediation situation if the boss is bullying the employee, if the boss doesn't care about the employee and there is an intention to hurt. Remember, those three things about bullying, intention to hurt, repeated over time, and there's an imbalance of power means that conflict resolution skills will not work. All right. Selecting, the other thing that is important is selecting inappropriate supplemental materials. So what do we mean by this? So inappropriate supplemental materials might be um, similar to what I said earlier. So let's say we're gonna do a bullying prevention workshop with the kids. And most of it is about um, everybody being nice to each other. Now, that's positive. That's a really good thing to do in a bullying prevention workshop, why we would be nice to each other. However, it doesn't really address what happens if, uh, if somebody does bully. They should know what happens. If somebody's bullying another kid, what are the consequences? We should know what the consequences are and not ignore those things. And sometimes... There aren't any consequences. As we talked in one of our prior uh, workshops or, or podcasts, if I bully somebody else and there's no consequence for that, then it may not be a bad idea. It might help my social status. It might help my uh, self-esteem to continue to do it. So inappropriate supplemental materials might not include that kind of full picture of the story. Okay, now I don't want to mention uh, very specific uh, programs. Let me see if I can share. Let me see if I can share this uh, photo of somebody who did a. I, I don't mind. I don't mind uh, being a little bit. Uh, critical of, of this one gentleman who was doing a bullying prevention program. And let me share his 
Um, let me see if I can share the part, portion of the screen along with my notes. Apologize for the little bit of mix up, but here's somebody who I'll share the, share the picture with you first. So here's somebody who is uh, a good example of a program that I don't recommend. And this would be somebody who might be invited to your kid's school to teach kids to stop bullying. This is a guy who is a former tattoo artist, as you might guess, since he's got a lot of tattoos. And he legally changed his name to The Scary Guy. That's what his name is right now. His name in, on his driver's license says The Scary Guy. And he was using his persona and his kind of frightening appearance to kind of, well, I would say scare kids into stop into stopping bullying but he, you know i think it's more like um uh, he's he's purporting that he's teaching kids into stopping bullying so he's used to be known as earl kaufman you can look him up and he was uh, reported by cnn and he was a self-professed uh, per, uh bullying prevention guru he was supposed to supposedly eliminating uh hate and violence and prejudice but he uh he charged about uh, $7,000 and the schools would pay for him to come to their school. And many schools did have him come. He was making a kind of a living doing this and, and he would do all kinds of things like he'd inappropriately push people and inappropriately grab people and all kinds of different things. I'm, I'm amazed that the schools allowed and then tell kids, Hey, what would you do about this? What would you do about this? And he would use a lot of negative examples. So this would be an example of a program that we don't recommend that would be in all ways ridiculous. And as I tell you this, you, I'm sure, agree with me. But these are the kind of, this is an example of programs that schools use. Another example of programs that schools use are very frequently, very frequently programs that are feel-good programs. And what I mean by feel-good programs are programs that, um, and again, I don't want to make any other, pro I don't mind making the scary guy feel bad if he's listening to our podcast, but other programs that are, again, well-meaning, but they don't have any evidence basis for their success because they don't have any success, where they'll come in and have kids write essays about why they should be kind or nice to each other, but they don't have any real function because they're not, they're not, um, they don't have any, um, any ongoing characteristics of a successful program. So what would those kind of programs be? What would programs that are going to be successful have? So let's talk about that. Um, let me list a couple of them that we do have seen that do have some evidence base. So education programs that work, and there are more than I'll list here. And if you're a parent, 
don't if if your school doesn't have one of these on their list, you don't have to quit that school and go somewhere else. There's there's some research you can do that, and I'll give you some characteristics that you can think about that um, or that you can look into to see if their programs uh, support this. Also, I'll give you another some other suggestions that we're going to follow up with our other podcasts about what you can do because even if your school has some of these programs, they may or may not adhere to them completely. And even if they did adhere to them completely, you should still be doing other stuff with your kids to prevent bullying because even the best school-based bullying prevention program can never eliminate bullying bullying completely. So some of the ones that we really like or that we've seen that in all of our research that work really well, um, OSE, uh, let's see here, um, Bullying prevention in positive behavior support. That was started uh, by my alma mater, Arizona State University, and a group of different uh, group of different programs uh, that worked with them. Um, this reported uh, by teachers is uh, a lower incidence of bullying prevention. Uh, internationally, UNICEF had a, has a good program. So the one that you've, you've heard about in lots of other ways. Um, and uh, this reported abusive behavior down by half. So UNICEF has a really good program. There's one also the government has, No Bullying Allowed. That's another good one. And this mainly lowered students' fear of bullying, not so much bullying reduction, but lowered their fear of bullying. And my favorite one that I've, I've done certifications in is the Olveas Bullying Prevention Program. And it's not, it doesn't stand for anything. It's named after a guy named Dan Olveas. So O-L-W-E-U-S. And this has five components, and these are five really important components that should go into, go into any program. Is it help, There's co one component of how the school operates, the classroom, the individual student, the parents, and also the community. And this one reported a 62% reduction in kids getting bullied. So it's the best program. It also reported, by the way, a 33% reduction in kids bullying others. And this is after about an eight-month uh, test. Now, this has been done in many, 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 many schools uh, across the world. Uh, it started in Norway, but it's widespread across the United States. Even though it's very, it's in many, many schools. It's, uh, it's not in every school. Many, many schools use different programs. So there's a lot of different bullying prevention programs out there. These are four of the, of uh, our favorite ones that we've looked at. The bullying, the Olveas bullying prevention program is probably given the best results and has the best evidence basis for working in schools. Now, it does require, again, school, classroom, student, uh, 
parents and the community some, some work in. So what does that mean? What that means is that the school develops a system for implementing uh, negative consequences for bullying. And we'll, let's talk about that a little bit more. It's not just the negative consequences for the kid who's bullying, but also, let's say they're bullying somebody, we'll call that um, the one who's being bullied, put it in, that, in our chart here, but also all the other kids in what the Oveas program calls a bully prevention or a, a bully circle. So there's other kids that are supporting the bully. There might be kids that are supporting a bully and um, start engaging in the bullying when bullying happens. There's kids that are, in, you know, egging the bully on, the bullying on, all the, bull, the, the other kids involved in bullying, but are not actively engaging in bullying. There's kids that are, um, that are not involved and don't really want to get involved. There's kids that are, don't want the bullying to happen, but, uh, but don't do anything about it. And then there's kids that do help with bullying. They do try to help support the kid who's being bullied. So this whole kind of ecosystem of kids that are involved, the Oveas Bullying Prevention looks at all of these. It addresses all these kids. And what they try to do is have the school identify these kids and who's involved in this whole process when bullying is going on so that the teachers can do a better job of seeing what's happening and then move all the kids one step closer to being a helper kid. And these helpers, the ones who are supportive of the kids uh, that are being bullied, we want to try to develop more of those in a school. So the school system that's being developed would have negative consequences for these kids that are bullying or that are supporting the bullying, and then encourage more of this helping behavior and also supporting the kids that are being bullied so that when this happens, it, 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 they recover quicker, they get some support and they're not, uh, not abused themselves. What can happen sometimes in a bullying situation is the kid who gets bullied can be told, well, if you, you know, weren't wearing those clothes, you wouldn't get bullied. So it's your, that's really telling the kid that's getting bullied that it's their fault. Or if you didn't talk so funny, you wouldn't get bullied. Or if you didn't um, look so funny, you wouldn't get bullied. Or if you didn't act that way, you wouldn't get bullied. Well, that's telling the kid that it's their fault. Very frequently, bullying ends up having a blame um, assigned to the kid who's getting bullied. This is extremely common. And when one of these programs that's working well is implemented, the teacher can identify that a bullying situation is happening, that this imbalance of power is going on. And then they know that it's not a time to be correcting the, the kid who's getting bullied, that they need some support and they need, it, they need to address it in a different way. In the classroom, 
then they have weekly meetings so that they address some of these social situations better. What the great effect of this is, is that the, the overall school discipline and the overall systematic culture in the school environment changes and improves. And the parent component of this is, well, and that helps the students too. The parent component is really important as well because the parents then understand what's going on. And then if their kid was bullying another kid or supporting the bullying or doing some, having some negative behavior, if they, the kid gets sent home, the parent knows not to punish the kid incorrectly or do something that might be counterproductive, but also to they're part of this educational process. And if their kid's getting bullied, they know how to help support their kid in the right way. If their kid's helping, they know to be positive about what happens in the in uh, rewarding their kid and reinforcing the, the really good behavior that they've been showing. So the parents also part of it. And if a situation happens where, for example, a kid's bullying another child, the, all the kids' parents are going to get called and talked to, but the parents know ahead of time that this is how the process works, and they're not going to be surprised or shocked by this call from the school. They're going to be part of the part of the um, growth process. In the community, then the community can be supportive of all the different parts of this process, and they can uh, be. They might be financially contributing. They might be. Uh, they might be helping support it at the different events that the school has. They may have uh, cooperative, they may be on the, the school board or the school uh, um, bullying prevention board that they create and be do other things that support the process. So that's a great program. And if you find somebody that can work with you, uh, your school in supporting the bullying prevention program, the Oveus bullying prevention program. That's a great system to have in your school. I think we might be running out of time. So we'll probably have to pick up next time on how uh, what, what we built this program on that we do in our martial arts school and how that also can affect your kids. Because for all kids, education programs are important. This is important to know about because some of your schools will have a really solid program and some schools will have a program that may have some missing pieces or may not have much in terms of bullying prevention. Again, I don't blame the schools for that. They're under so much pressure for all kinds of other areas that we, we, do, need to, uh, we do need to understand that. That means that regardless of what kind of program they have, parents and kids, we need to be working on how to prevent bullying in lots of other areas. If you're one of the kids that supports kids if they're being bullied, or you're one of the kids that's getting bullied, or maybe you're one of the kids that's bullying other kids, what do we do about that and how do we help, uh, help move it forward? So we're going to talk next time about how martial arts can help uh, and how what we do in martial arts. And if you're not in martial arts, how other programs and other different activities for kids can help prevent bullying and what to do in those situate in in those types of programs. Master Samward, anything to add? I didn't really get you to let you get a word um, in edgewise. This I time. did actually have so uh, going over that. It seems to me that the most important thing for an education system is that the teachers are educated on what bullying is, but then what can they do? Because we've seen that one where the teacher says, "Okay, Johnny." 
you're not allowed to bully. So I want you to apologize to Billy for pushing him today. And Johnny's like, sure, sorry, Billy, no problem. I'm sorry. And Billy's like, that doesn't solve a thing. Yeah, it doesn't solve a thing because the kid who's being bullied, sure, there's an apology there. But then later on the playground, the one who apologized is going to punch him in the head or do whatever he wants, because that didn't really solve the problem. What needed to happen was there needed to be a negative consequence. An apology is not really a negative consequence in that scenario most of the time. The uh, And it's not conflict resolution. We're not having conflict. We're having bullying. And bullying needs to have a different solution. Conflict resolution is different. So people need to know the difference. And by the way, when we get to adults, again, same thing. Conflict resolution is different for bullying. So you're right, exactly, Master Samborn. That's that's uh, got to be handled in a different way. And that has to do with educating educators on what bullying is and then what can they do? Because they might get to school first, have the first meeting at school of the day of the of the year and they're told, okay, we have a zero tolerance for bullying in this school. Don't let it happen in your classroom. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm a brand new teacher. This is my first time in this school. The other school had something else. What does that mean? And yeah, what, what, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, now I see bullying or something might be like bullying. I'm not really sure what it is. I learned some stuff in school about it, but what are you guys defining as bullying? And then if I see it as bullying, what am I supposed to do? I, I go to this principal and say, I think that guy bullied the kid a little bit because he pushed him once. So is he supposed to be expelled? I mean, you're not going to expel a kid because you saw somebody push somebody a little bit. That happens all the time. So how are you supposed to manage that? That would be like the police officer, somebody goes 66 miles an hour. And my job is going to, you telling me I have to arrest him and put him in jail for a year? I mean, expelling a kid is like, you might as well put him in uh, somebody in jail for a year. That's a major deal, right? Like zero tolerance doesn't make sense in that case. And even if it's not really expelling a kid, if it's something less severe, it doesn't make sense in a scenario like that. It wouldn't make sense in that type of deal. So we've got to be really careful. There needs to be graduated levels of negative consequence that are matching the type of bullying that might happen. And that's something that then the school needs to have a good handle on. The teachers need to know that if this happens, I, I can identify bullying really well. If this happens, I can do this and I can do it quickly. And I can do it in a way that's not going to, you know, mess up all the other academic things I've got to deal with. And I've got to be trained enough so that I know what to do. Parents, for the ones that are listening, you got to be able to do that too in a way that, to be able to identify what's happening. And then we're going to talk later about when it, if it does happen, if your child's coming to you and says he's being bullied, or maybe you get a call or you hear that your child's bullying somebody else, which is one in five kids are doing that. So it could be yours. What do you do about that? So we'll, we'll cover that. We'll cover that coming up. Well, thanks everybody. We ran out of time, but we'll get to that next time. And I, I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot, everybody. And we're going to, um,